Welcome to the Drunk Art Review podcast, where everyone from teetotal to blind ass drunk is welcome to give their honest opinions on all forms of art. The month of February in the UK is LGBT History Month, and to celebrate, we've got some extra special guest interviews for you. So sit back, relax, and take some time to learn something new about some incredible artists. Here we have our first guest, Drusilla Adeline, aka Sister Hyde, and I'm taking this directly from her website. (laughs) She is a Midwestern trans punk who sold out, moved out west and became a graphic designer. Making artwork for amazing companies such as Mondo and Paramount, her film posters are exactly what you want to be surrounded by as you slink into an independent movie theatre. So, lovely listeners, we are joined today by the wonderful Sister Hyde. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so happy to be here. I know, it's so exciting to have someone like all the way from America on our little British show. It's very cool. Yeah, well, these days it's very easy to hop on a, hop on a computer and all of a sudden be in England. <laughs> I know, well, we, we were saying earlier, I feel so much more connected with all of my family and everyone just because everyone is so attached to the computer now. So I'm like, I feel so much more sociable than I was before because everyone isn't hard to get in contact with. That's true, but I use that to get out of contact with my family. Oh, <laughs> Kind of like avoid people you don't want to see as well, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I can avoid them, and then I can meet new people in England, and Germany, and stuff yeah, like that. Great. <laughs> oh yeah, England's fantastic. Come over here. We'll, we'll have a great time. You know, once the people can fly again. <laughs> yeah. England is great, but then we still got Boris Johnson, so it's not that. Yeah, great. I was gonna say we at least got rid of Trump. Yeah, we still got. We Boris. We did that. <laughs> you still have Boris and Brexit and some other stuff, and I'm just like one day. Yeah, I think we were all applauding across the pond. It's such a wonderful feeling to know that that had happened. Because as Americans, we always kind of grew up with this fantasy of like, everything's better in England. One day, you know, maybe you can escape to England and pretend you're Canadian over there and they'll treat you nicely. <laughs> uh, and, then we, and then around 2016, we were like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. You guys are <laughs> dumb as we are. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it's never a good sign when you just have two fat white men at the top of all the, the political angles in life. It's, it's not great. Well, they are two out of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, aren't they? So you have Trump, Boris... Then you have Kim Jong-un and you have a, oh God, Putin? Oh yeah, Putin too, yeah. So they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So we've got one down, we just need to get rid of the other three now. <laughs> Let's get on to some questions because we want to know all about you. And we're so happy that you came on the podcast. Did you want to introduce yourself? Give us sort of your creative style, your location, your job? Yeah, um, I don't know, Sagittarius? Um <laughs> Best answer. Yeah, right. Uh, my name is Drusilla Adeline. I'm a graphic designer uh, and illustrator here in the States, based out of California. And I do, you know, I do movie posters and I design album covers and, you know, like Blu-ray boutique releases from like the Criterion Collection and Arrow Video. And I don't know, my stuff looks weird and people <laughs> pay me to do it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best way to ever get a job, isn't it? Yeah, honestly, like the first like boutique Blu-ray release ever did was in England for 88 films. And it was of a kind of like kink exploitation lesbian film called Pets. Oh and I was God. like, oh, okay. <laughs> so you understand what my interests are. Got it. <laughs> You're like, I can make a career of this. Amazing. Fabulous. Dive into all the kinks. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> first actual question for you today is what is the first thing you did today when you got up serious question here you know okay well the the god's honest truth is i uh 
checked my like tracking on some stuff I have in the mail on my phone, and then I read some fanfic on my phone in bed. Oh, <laughs> what is the fanfic you're reading at the moment? Oh God, <laughs> don't do this to me. <laughs> we 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 want to we want to get to know you. I mean, the the deep dark secrets. This is what we're about. Well, well, okay, all right, all right. We're getting into it. Okay, here's the thing. I'm a really, really, really big fan of like the like Ocean's Eleven movies because I think they're fucking awesome. And my partner had kind of never seen them, so I showed them Ocean's Eight last night, and we were watching it, and we're having a good time. And then uh, this morning, I was just kind of like, huh, I wonder if someone's written Ocean's 8 fanfic. I'm sure that it exists. And so I found some, and I was like, ah, nice. Glad to know it. If you want fanfic on anything, there is some corner of the internet that has a fanfic on whatever you're looking for, doesn't there? Yeah, they're kind of really... And I was like, there's no way that, like, this has fanfic. Like, sure, like, TV shows, like, you know, Riverdale and Sabrina, like, basically are fanfic. But, like, you know, I'm sure... It's mostly like animated stuff or whatever, but or like Harry Potter or One Direction, but no, no, no. Apparently, apparently, this is a very niche lesbian Ocean's Eight fanfic <laughs> community over there, solely because Kate Blanchett walks on screen and everyone just goes, "Oh, okay." Glorious. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? Wow. <laughs> oh, I love niche fan fiction, and that's the that's the thing. Like, so many of the fanfic writers. They're so into so many different things that they're not just going to go for the well-known stuff. They're going to really write about what really touched them. So uh, Ocean's 8 did that to someone out there. Yeah, I guess. A lot of people <laughs> based on what my search results brought up. Oh, wow. Yeah, a lot. I was very surprised. Pleasantly so, but very surprised. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of bored lesbians out there. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we, we've been locked inside for quite some time, so <laughs> there's a lot of room for that. That was the other thing is like that movie came out in like what 2018 like these were being written like last week well it's so weird actually like i only watched oceans 8 like, a couple of weeks ago so i don't know if it's just because it came on netflix or something and i was like i'll i'll give that a go i like kate blanchett i like anne hathaway let's go maybe mm -hmm. maybe many many people jumped on that bandwagon listen are you admitting that you're writing oceans 8 fan i would be okay if you are but you have to tell me um everything out there is just me <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, enough of the fan fiction, although we love it, of course. Next question. Describe your artwork in three words. Um, okay. Um, so... <laughs> so the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, cheap Punk Xerox? Ooh. I think. Nice me. Definitely, definitely the cheap aspect. <laughs> I don't know. I just think I, I like the idea of, you know, I feel like the most natural habitat for my art to be in would be on some like old VHS tape you find at a flea market. I feel like that or like an old like cassette of like X or like, mm -hmm. you know, minor threat or something like that. I feel like that is the ideal scenario for at least how I see it or for how I want to do it. I don't know. Other people see it differently, which is why I work on like David Lynch movies occasionally. Um, which is cool, but like... You get that feeling of collectability. Things that do mm -hmm. feel like VHS and sort of underground cinema, you know what I mean? So you have these old posters that are kind of collaged together and pasted over the walls. I mean, fantastic work, really loud. We love it, genuinely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so up my street. Oh, thank you. Like, Ghost World is probably like one of my favourites of yours, actually. 
Oh, I really like this world as well. That was real. I've got that written down just a bit. So I like, I was making notes like, oh, I love this one and I love this one. And I put ghost one down. And there was another, I, there was another one I really loved. One of your wretched women ones where they're like, the face is all scratched out and stuff. And I was just like, yeah. Oh yeah, that was for an art show uh, back in Chicago. Yeah. For a friend of mine. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Then the Ghost World one was literally just like, I don't know, I had that photo and I was like, what can I do with this? Oh yeah, Ghost World's fun. <laughs> see those kinds of posters in like some of our little niche cinemas that we have in the UK because we've got like the big branded ones that are all over but then there's a lot of little like cute ones that are tucked around in towns and you can just imagine them in those kinds of cinemas and it would just be like mm. fit perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like there's um there's one in London called the Prince Charles Cinema. Oh yeah, I'm I mean, I'm here in the States and I'm familiar with the Prince Charles. It's it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> And it's such a small cinema. Like I remember going um, a couple of years back to watch uh, r uh, the room. Well, you know, you know the room. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Tommy Wiseau was there. Oh <laughs> and of course, he looks like a melted candle. Mm -hmm. um, but he came outside with like a football, like an American football, and he was like, "Oh, hey guys, you want to play football?" And he was just yeah. like throwing the football around with us. It was the weirdest thing ever. Yeah, he does that at like most screenings. I I went to a screening of that at the Music Box in Chicago, and he did the same thing. He's just, he's just, <laughs> listen, he doesn't care what you think about the movie. He's yeah. just happy that you're there, which like, I can really get behind that. Yeah, and it's got such like a cult following just to see him, I think too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, people just love going to play football with him, uh, <laughs> weirdly enough. And throughout the screening as well, because you get quite drunk, um, there's an interval. They flood the floor with like plastic spoons. Oh yeah. And every time you see like pictures of cutlery, you just throw the spoons in the air and it's just so fun. Yep. I remember, oh God, I used to go in high school all the time to go see the room because I'm from like, you know, suburban middle-class Indiana, <laughs> which I don't even know what the equivalent would be in England. Bumfuck nowhere, basically. And the like, the movie theater at the mall would show the room every Friday over the summer. And so we'd just get together with a group of friends and we'd go to like, I don't know, Walmart beforehand and buy a box of plastic spoons <laughs> to muggle them in because we knew everyone else was going to do it because it's like Rocky Horror like that. And then you throw them, the like framed photo of a spoon shows up so many times in that movie that the first couple times that you see it, you know, you throw the spoons at the screen and you yell uh -huh. and you do all that. But then all of a sudden, especially if you're sitting kind of like on the floor of the theater or kind of anywhere that's not the top, you end up getting like covered mm -hmm. in spoons. And there's spoons all around you, so you end yeah. up having more than you came in with, and you still have, like, I don't know, an hour left of the movie, in which it's gonna show up again. <laughs> I know. So what happens by, like, around the midway point is everyone kind of at the front of the theater picks up all those extra spoons and starts throwing them back at everyone else. And it's just shit. So it's less about hitting the screen and more about just hitting the other audience members, and then by the end of it, you're not even watching the movie anymore. Oh, so fun. It's just like the best thing. Yeah, I miss that. It's been a long, it's been a long, long, long time. And then on top of that, it's been about a, you know, a year since I've been to a fucking movie theater. So Drusilla, when did you get into making art at first? And was it something that you just kind of naturally fell into? Or did you study for it? When did that all begin? Man, I wish I studied for it. That'd make things a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? Um, well, I mean, I have always been shit at drawing and painting and anything that's in any way fine arts or tactical <laughs> in that way. And so at a very early age, I was like, cool, not my thing. And then 
Ugh. I think I was in high school. I was in and out of a lot of punk bands and just kind of crappy like garage bands in central Indiana. And I was in one that was, I don't know, doing better than the others. So we had an album, we were recording music and we were playing a lot of shows. And so we needed flyers for shows and we needed album artwork and we needed ads on Facebook and crap like that. And so I was taking filmmaking classes at a career college off of my high school at the time and those computers had photoshop on them so i was like don't worry guys i got this i've never used photoshop before in my entire life but i got this so i would just do all that stuff myself just kind of teaching myself all of that and it was serviceable you know <laughs> we didn't get any complaints People came to the shows, the, you know, album, the EP sold, people listened to them, and then we went off to college and stopped playing music. And so I didn't really think about it. And when I was in college, I went to Columbia College of Chicago oh. for experimental film directing, okay. which is a very pointless degree at a very, we don't care who you are, just come and pay us money art school. But it was Chicago and I was very excited to be out of bumfuck nowhere. But while I was there, no one kind of gave two shits about the films I was making. <laughs> like at all. But they really, really uh, responded to my opening credit sequences. They thought those were fun. They liked my typography and they liked the weird stuff that I would do in those. And so I was like, but I'm just kind of like doing the shit I would do in my old punk flyers. What the hell? This is this isn't nothing. But I kept getting like asked by like friends and classmates to do their opening credits and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, whatever. And then fast forward a couple years and I did my senior year in Los Angeles because that was a thing that they offered. And one thing leads to another and I got an editing job at a startup and and it was for a like niche streaming service and they needed editors. But what they didn't know they needed was a graphic designer because they didn't have one. <laughs> um, and then you stroll in. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, I'm there on the job, I'm editing and stuff like that. And then after a couple months, I'm just kind of like, hey, I've just been cleaning up all of your like assets for months now uh, and making them look good. Did you think they just automatically <laughs> did that? <laughs> Magic. Someone sneaks in overnight and just makes them look beautiful for them. Yeah, those little elves coming to cobble your artwork, which was me, I guess. And so they ended up moving me over there to do that. And then over time, I ended up working my way up to art director and, you know, basically anything that like came through that service came across my desk. And when they hosted film festivals, I did the top down design for the film festivals. And when they launched a new website, I designed the website, and when they launched a new app, I completely designed the app top to bottom. And after like three, four years of designing like Facebook ads and print flyers, I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I could be doing more than this. And, you know, as a big film buff and as, you know, a cinephile and a fan of things like this, I would look at Error Video and I would look at the Criterion Collection and Shout Factory out here in the States or Masters of Cinema there in the UK and, and see these amazing, amazing artists, Eric Skillman and Graham Humphreys and Adam Maida and Sam Smith and a lot of dudes. Uh, Anyway, I'd see all these artists doing all these, you know, amazing covers for these releases. And then, you know, 
turn around and do key art and one sheets for theatrical stuff. And in the case of Adam Maiden and Sam Smith and stuff like that, also doing like album artwork and stuff like that. And I was like, that sounds like more fun. I want to do stuff like that. <laughs> and so I, the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, just started making fan posters just for the hell of it. Just to kind of like, what's the, what's the old saying? Dress for the job you want, not the job you have kind of like that mm -hmm. uh because i had a pretty good portfolio of like digital marketing materials at that point but i really wasn't <laughs> looking for a job like that <laughs> i had a job like that yeah yeah uh, and i didn't love it so i took a page out of my friend scott saslow's book scott's also a poster designer and in 2016 he did a project where he did uh an alt poster a day for a year oh wow uh and they're all still up on his website and on his instagram and they're fucking insane and they're very very good very very smart and i was like well i'm not as smart as that but <laughs> i have free time <laughs> as little as i did working a full-time job so i decided to just do the same thing and what was a poster a day would basically be like i had an hour lunch break what could i do in an hour lunch break I would represent this movie and get it out in time and so i did this every single day <laughs> They look great, though. You wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought that they were done in an hour because I was flicking through them on your website a couple of nights ago, and I was just like, I would not have thought that you'd done them in an hour. <laughs> that makes it even more impressive. <laughs> some of them you could probably guess, um, but some of those are not my best work. But basically, I treated that as like a sandbox of like, let me just play around in here and see what I like, see what I like to do, mm. see what I think that I could do successfully. So a lot of the, like the early stuff is like me experimenting with like vector art or like collage stuff. I mean, my first one was for Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread mm -hmm. and that's a very like collage based piece in the in the extent of like, I don't really know how to do collage in Photoshop, but let me try. <laughs> so it doesn't look as polished as it should by a long shot, but you know what? It's an idea. Okay, so is there a particular piece of artwork that inspired your own creative journey? I mean, you've talked a little bit about other people's artwork that has inspired you along the way, but was there anything that's hit it off straight away? Uh, so basically, I think the thing that did it for me, the thing that kind of lit the light bulb over my head and was like, to give me the kind of concept of, oh, I could do that. The first thing is, is a French poster artist from the like 50s through like the 80s named Rene Ferracci, who is phenomenal and I love his work so much and I collect a lot of it and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. He did a poster for Louis Benuel's 1974 movie The Phantom of Liberty which is a very weird art house comedy thing. There's not really a plot so it's a very 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 hard movie to sell but it's really 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 good. The poster for it is a very graphic depiction, not graphic as in gross, but graphic as in graphic, a uh, depiction of a pink butt on ostrich legs, <laughs> right. wearing the crown of the Statue of Liberty and then holding a wilting torch. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I love it. And when I was young, when I was like a kid, it was on the VHS cover, which was at my local library because my library was, I don't know, well-funded. Uh, and, and would buy things like that. And so I would walk through the library's like video section as a kid and I would see this and be like, what in the goddamn hell is this? This is awesome. I like this a lot. It's funny and like to referring it like 12 year old mind, like ha, but, but also like it makes you want to pick this thing up and find out what the fuck it is. And it's really simple and it's smart and like the colors are great. And I don't know, it's brilliant. Well, it's that incongruity, isn't it? Like, um, having something that's really surprising 
Yeah, it just, it calls to you, it asks to be uh, investigated and delved into, which is perfect and perfect for his movies like that. Faraji did a lot of Pinwell's posters. He also did a matching one for Discreet from the Bourgeoisie, the That Obscure Object of Desire with his own lips and Bold du Jour. So, um, anyway, I now have the, fan, the Phantom of Liberty poster framed, an original one of it, you know, up in my bedroom. I love it so much. But, so that sparked off the idea in my head of like, there is a world of art out there that is accessible, that you like a lot, and that maybe you can emulate one day. <laughs> and you know, already fit into my burgeoning, weird, cinephile brain. Uh, and then, when I was in high school, I was really, really, really big into the Criterion Collections releases and stuff like that. Again, big, dumb, weird cinephile, no friends. Anyway, but I really really loved the covers and stuff and so i started doing research into the artists who did them and i found eric skillman who is their art director and who i've had somehow had the amazing pleasure of working with and he's like the nicest guy in the world um i found his blog that you know i think was discontinued in like 2010 2011 but i found it when i was in high school and i would like read it all the time and like flip through because he would do process posts on like how he designs some of their covers. And the cover for Broadcast News, the James L. Brooks movie with Holly Hunter and oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Albert Brooks. Such a good movie, oh my God. He <laughs> did an amazing cover for that, which is really, really complex and really, really beautiful. And it's like a full build, creating an, a beautiful scene and an image that like, like a vantage point on one of the most famous scenes in the movie that is genius and like so well put together but it took him a long time to get to that point. And it's a very beautiful post on just like breaking down an idea and executing it in that way. And it just like mm -hmm. kind of taught my brain how to think like that in terms of design uh, and in terms of art being something not exclusively with a paintbrush or in a pencil. Yeah, I think sometimes just having another voice and sort of breaking down something in a way that you hadn't even considered, it opens you up to other possibilities of how you can break down something. It's like opening a door into it. Yeah, and it was something I'd never considered and I was blown away reading this. And even today, like, I still have that old blog, not that post specifically, but that blog itself bookmarked. Yeah. And if I'm ever stuck on something, I go back there and I try to read through it. I'm, I literally, like have been looking through one of his posts recently <laughs> for a job that I'm on. Well, if you know where to find your inspiration, you, you kind of, you always go back to it. <laughs> yeah, which is why, like, you know, it's so freaking surreal, you know, a year and some change ago, they got an email from him. <laughs> Be like, hey, do you want to do something? Well, he emailed you. Yeah, he was literally just sitting on my couch, uh, watching a movie <laughs> in like, I don't know, December of 2019 or whatever. Uh, and just got an email out of the blue and the, you know, subject line was something, something, something like design job or something like that. But it was like from Eric Skullman and I was like, Ugh! I bet, my God. As heart attack. Yeah, again, like I had been collecting these movies for over 10 years. And I, the reason I got into this was not only because of their stuff, but specifically because of his blog and his covers and stuff like that. And so I was kind of like, oh, okay. And then, you know, you get into the meat of the email and it's like, yeah, a cover for Martin Scorsese. <laughs> sure. Oh <my> God. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to say no. You know, I pride myself on being at least kind of good at getting back to people's emails, but I 
had a good like three hour like breakdown before I was finally like, oh, yes, sir. I would love the opportunity of working together. Meanwhile, in between, there was like me like crying in the shower and like jumping up and down and calling like my friends and family. Anyway, that's a bit of exaggeration. But yeah, so I, you know, got to work with him very closely on that, which was a blast. And then a couple of months later, got to work with him again on the release of David Lynch's The Elephant Man, which was also incredibly surreal to me because I kind of obsessed over that movie when I was in high school because <laughs> I changed schools at, you know, like midway through high school for awful reasons. And like my first week at my new school, I was like depressed. I didn't want to be there and didn't want to like relate to anybody. And I hated it. And I had checked out the Elephant Man from the library. And so I had it for a week. And so I just, <laughs> every day I would come home from school, I would pop it in and watch it. And then I would cry at the end of the Elephant Man. And then I would get up and I would go about my business. Go do my homework or make dinner or whatever. And I did that for every single day of that week that I had it from the library. <laughs> and a friend of mine was like, are you okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you know, that to be one of the things is quite surreal. And having it include the, the approval of not only the team at Criterion to get that across, but also David Lynch uh, had to approve it and Mel Brooks had to approve it. So yeah, that was, that was a weird one. <laughs> just blindingly cool i mean that's that's such a moment in your life to like wow you know yeah i it, it sits on my shelf now and every day i can kind of go huh <laughs> so what's your artistic process what does it look like when you kind of like sit down to create a piece from a client or like a piece for yourself are they different or do you go about them the same way uh they're really different honestly i mean because there's a level of seriousness and commitment uh, to one as opposed to the other because I feel like you know if it's a client job then it starts with like a week of emails before we even like get to the thing and then it can start a number of different ways of if there's a very very specific brief like we want this 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 and this and we need it by like next week then I'll just dive into it and I know what I'm doing if it's something from this is a bit more broad and a bit more time which is probably the majority of my clients at this point uh, then I'm usually gonna like sit down with the film or album or show or whatever, but it's usually a film. Sit down with the film, open up my notebook, watch it, take notes, uh, jot stuff down, and then objects, images, ooh, that wallpaper looks really good there, I should source that. Or, hey, wow, those uh, chrysanthemum leaves are really important to that scene. I should make note of that or something like that. Did you say that you watch the film first and then you watch it again, like to take notes? No, I watch it once watching and taking notes. One of the upsides of having a film degree is I'm very good at writing down bullshit while watching film. <laughs> yeah, we had whole classes in that. <laughs> that all were all about like, you know, how to, how to write while looking at a screen uh, and reading subtitles at the same time. Um, I mean, I had a friend back in college who he would like come to class every day with like watercolor pens and stuff like that. And he would open up his sketchbook and he would just like, never take his eyes off the screen, but he would just like paint everything that he saw and draw everything that he saw into his sketchbook. So by the end, he had like a two page spread of just images from the movie and that was enough for him. <laughs> it's like he was having some sort of possession taking home. Oh, and they're, and they're always amazing too. Like I always wanted to like frame these things that he did. So yeah, I start with that and kind of develop themes or images or motifs and stuff like that that I feel like could be accessible into a piece of art to represent the film. And you know, it's also something that I feel like I could do. For example, when I saw Greta Gerwig's Little Women, 
in theaters. There was an image that struck me, like right when she and Timothy Chalamet break up. Spoilers, that book's been out for years. Um, <laughs> anyway, they break up. Uh, and there's like, there's a great scene where she like walks off into the landscape and it's beautiful and there's a tree there. And I remember watching that and being like, wow, that would make a great poster for this movie. Like a nice like painting of this scene. And then my brain was like, but you couldn't do that. So I was like, all right, trash. Uh, <laughs> so like things like that, don't really go, uh, don't pass through the filter. But if I'm like, oh, hey, there's like a birdcage in this scene and like poison and pills and like da 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 da, I'm like, oh, cool, I can make a collage of that. <laughs> so I don't know. Or like if, you know, there's a lot of fire in something, then I'm like, ah, cool, I can put fire all over it. Awesome. So something like that. And then if I need a bit more like reference point for like, aesthetic theming or typography or something like that that i want to share with the client i will build uh like a mood board on pinterest or something like that and so i'll you know start with all my reference points of all my favorite artists uh that i feel like fit so you know a little bit of rena ferracci a little bit of even zulueta a little bit of you know maybe jay shaw for something maybe a little bit of you know bob peak or you know, people from the 70s, um, or like Art Chantries, a bit more like punk stuff. Um, and then, you know, if it's, and then needle down to specifics. So like, if it's like a horror movie, I can find like more horror reference pieces. Or if it's like some old noir movie, I can find old like pulp paperback book covers as reference points and stuff like that. Get that all together, send that to the client to kind of let them know where I'm going without actually doing, you know, any like hard work. Uh, <laughs> And then I can also, I keep that up typically while I'm working so that if I get stuck on something, I can jump back to that and, you know, find an out. And then I kind of just play. <laughs> I get my ideas together. I rarely sketch because, as I mentioned, I'm shit at drawing <laughs> and my sketches look terrible. When I work with agency clients, they really, really, really want to see my sketches and I feel bad for them. I, I, like, I promise this is going to look like a face, but right now it's a circle. <laughs> Oh, believe me, it happens like even with, yeah, because like I, I draw, so like, you know, I even even my sketch is going to be absolutely shit when I send them over. I'm like, I, I apologize, it's going to look so much better. She says this, she's like, oh no, this is rubbish. She's not. She will sketch something. She'll have 10 seconds to sketch something that will look like something out of bloody Leonardo da Vinci's textbook. Like she's I believe this. I believe this because that's how like amazing artists talk about themselves. But I really, really need to reiterate that my I'm drawing <laughs> stick figures. Like not even good stick figures. These are like cave paintings. Like these are really rough. It's about the idea, isn't it? If you can relay the idea, then that translates beyond the, the style of it, like the initial drawing, you know what I mean? So if they like the, the idea, then then it's great. That's fair, that's fair. But yeah, and then, you know, we start doing, and then I, you know, dive into Photoshop and build some executions. So it's probably, I don't know, like three to five, maybe like eight pieces depending on what it is. Use some variants, always, you know, building different title treatments for everything. Uh, and then, especially with client work, you send it to the client, they come back with notes. You send those back, they come back with notes. And it's, you know, a nice little volley between there and then you kind of slowly start to land on the thing. And that's great. Now, when it's something for myself, which is super rare these days uh, because I'm very busy, but if I ever have, if I have the time to actually do something for myself, and I think I don't know the most recent thing I can pull up as an example is like the Defiant ones. Uh, I know it's I don't know if it's on my portfolio anywhere, but it's definitely on my Instagram. 
I did a poster for the Stanley Kramer, Sidney Poitier movie, The Defiant <gasps> Ones in the 60s, which is really good. And honestly, that a good ex the process behind that is a really good example of what my like personal pieces process kind of looks like, which is literally my roommate and I put on The Defiant Ones. <laughs> watch it one day <laughs> and like five minutes into this movie an image popped up of uh the two of them crossing a stream mm -hmm. together their hands shackled and it was just like you know a bit of a close-up just on their hands at that point and i was like oh well there's an idea and then i immediately <laughs> like because my work setup is just in the corner of my living room a little bit there's like a little like alcove so I've got like a desk and you know all my posters and shit like that. Yeah, we all have our little caves, don't we? <laughs> I, I can literally touch the sofa from where I am right now, and I can I can see the TV from my little swivel chair. And it's you know we've got a good sized TV. This is America. We do things big. Anyway, so literally I just stood up from the couch, walked over, sat in my chair, kept watching the movie, and then just like by the time the end credits were rolling, I was done. That's amazing. It's brilliant when an idea can be burned into your mind, like, immediately, and you have to do it. And then, the best part about this one is that six months later, or something like that, there's an amazing, amazing artist named Tony Stella, who's uh, a watercolor painter, and he does these amazing, 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 amazing pieces, and he's done, I don't know, posters for everything under the sun, and multiple, and his stuff is, like, really iconic and really famous, and he's done covers for, like, everyone. And he... <laughs> Six months after this, right, he messages me on Instagram to be like, what? Hey, uh, that looks like a poster I did years ago for the Defiant Ones. What? <laughs> and sends oh it to me, God. and it's like the same thing, but it's in painted in his style. And I was just like, ah, shit. <laughs> uh, I had never seen it before. I don't think, he, I, I think he'd only ever posted it like on an old Tumblr or something like that, which I didn't have. And I was just like, huh. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, I like your title treatment more. And I was like, okay, well, that's gonna go in the dustbin. It's kind of amazing though to think that you you both on the same wavelength of idea. That's kind of great to connect with someone on that level too. Yeah, because I love his stuff so much, and he's so fucking amazing. And I could never do what he does. Like we are worlds <laughs> apart. But yeah, it was just it was just very weird to go like, oh, okay, I'm not the first one. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> It's very it's a very american thing to do to be like the third person there and be like I, look what i found um i mean it's what we do with our country uh <laughs> <laughs> not wrong <laughs> all right uh well uh, next question is it twitter instagram or facebook which one do you choose oh god i wish i listen if i had the ability i would not be on any of them and i would spend my days on my couch with a bowl of popcorn watching movies and playing board games and reading books and you know writing and writing music and playing music and doing all but no i have social media and i have to have social media especially for work so honestly like I don't really have Facebook anymore. I kind of got rid of it in the past. Does anyone have mm -hmm. Facebook anymore, really? I think it's still there floating in the background, but you just don't really... Like I, like, I technically have an active account on Facebook, and if something big happens, then I'll maybe log back in and post something there just so that my, like, distant relatives can, can know that I'm still alive. Yeah, I think <laughs> the main reason I have Facebook is for my dog. 
Because like she goes to a dog daycare and they have a Facebook page where they take photos of the dogs while she's at daycare. And I oh, basically so just go on there just to look at photos of her and share them. That's the only main reason I have Facebook anymore. Well, that's a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if any reason's gonna be, it's gonna be that. Um, and like, I like Instagram, but I wish I liked it more. I wish it was better than it was. I wish it wasn't as low res as it was. I wish it was like, I wish it was easier to like have conversations and talk to people on it. Cause like the comment sections there are basically just neat and like nothing else. You don't really like respond to people in the comments on Instagram. You don't really have conversations. You gotta DM someone and like, that's, it's, that's a whole like thing. and. God, I, you know, as someone who's a millennial, like, on the cusp of Gen Z, basically, even, I'm just exhausted by the amount of politics there are around interacting with people on social media. I don't understand it at all. I have a love-hate relationship with Twitter because of that. I mean, I love Twitter. I generally love Twitter when I'm on the drunk art page because I'm just interacting with, like, loads of other podcasters and creators and mm -hmm. designers and artists and we're all just, like, taking the mickey out of each other and having some fun. And then I go on my personal one and I'm getting pop-up things for COVID and all this kind of thing. It's like a cesspit of horrible people because they're, they just go on there and, like, splurge all of these idiotic thoughts and I'm just like, I don't know whether I love this platform or hate this platform. And that's, and that's the thing is because I didn't get a Twitter until... 2018 probably or 2019 oh, wow. i just like i always hated it i had instagram since high school or whatever and i loved it because like people don't really put controversial shit on instagram no <laughs> people don't put bad news on instagram instagram is usually like i feel really good about how i look today here's a selfie or like I bought a new car, here's my new car, or like, look at my new art. It's always stuff like that. It's very immediate, it's very positive. And there's, you know, the, yeah, just people taking pictures of their food bullshit, but like, <laughs> no, like, I wanna see your food. Like, cool, awesome, show me your food. I wish I got as much enjoyment out of Twitter as other people seem to. I got on there because I had to. I had to do it because, like I mentioned, I produced the queer horror podcast, Dead for Filth, with Michael Verratti, and Michael's a very big, presence on twitter and as was the podcast so i was like okay i should get on there and i should interact with these people but i don't want to do it and then also you know getting into the art world and the poster design world takes a simple emphasis um it's kind of about just being seen isn't it like you're, you're trying to get in contact with other people and spread the word of you i suppose which always seems so trying to like filibuster yourself <laughs> but it is yeah i want to self-promote and get work and i want to meet people yeah so i guess guess that's an option and so i just never really got it and i don't get a lot of twitter humor either like a lot of the exclusively meme accounts like my partner has been on twitter for it feels like their entire life <laughs> and the way they talk about things and they send me posts by like really famous accounts that it's just inscrutable to me and i'm like what about this is funny and i'm just like <laughs> and i like i said i also <clears throat> my formative years were spent in like punk bands or at my house watching movies mm -hmm. so like i was not you know <clears throat> also to quote my partner terminally online nor do i have a big background in like the things that people make memes out of these days so i don't have a big background in like the office or avatar or like anime shows and stuff like that so i don't really like i don't get a lot of it and so i'm just like sure Okay, <laughs> that's a picture of a dog or something. And then you put a caption on it. Okay, cool. Uh, why not? 
and there's a lot of discourse and oh my god i hate discourse with my soul especially like being a member of the queer community and of the trans community mm -hmm. and just like oh there's so much i hate it so, like a couple days ago i just had to take a break from twitter altogether because the number one thing on trending was joe biden erases women oh i saw that oh spurned on by a bunch of turfs here in oh. the states in the uk and i was like all right <laughs> see you in a couple days when all this jk rowlingy kind of shit oh, is over yeah. i'm like okay cool I'll check back in with you guys when you're done with that bullshit. Because I don't feel like getting in fights all day long. I hate this. I hate that feeling. But on the flip side, God, I've met so many great people on Twitter. I mean, apart from you two. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> it's an obvious contender for great people I've met on Twitter. <laughs> Obviously in the top 10. But I've met so many amazing people on Twitter that not only other artists and I've met a lot of great filmmakers on Twitter that I've become friends with, but I've also got amazing work off of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> a good place for opportunities, isn't it? Twitter, like who you know and like somebody always knows somebody and someone will share something and you're like, oh. I cannot tell you how many big jobs that I've gotten that the first like email starts with, hey, I know you from Twitter. All of my biggest jobs, the ones that I'm like the most proud of and the ones that I have coming up that I'm like, I can't believe this is a thing that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I can trace back to because I have a Twitter and that's so depressing. <laughs> it's like a begrudging sugar daddy, isn't it? Like giving you these amazing jobs. Yeah. <laughs> But I have to pay out sometimes. Mm, yeah, yeah, I don't like it. But also, like I said, I've met some amazing, amazing people. Like my friend Nora is now like one of my neighbors. Oh, wow. <laughs> but we, we met uh, on Twitter because she is the same age as me and she is gay. And she is really, really, really into Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. But she's from Boston and she moved out here like over the summer. She knew I was going to be here. And so like there's people. I moved to LA and knew no one. So with like a backpack and a, and like a leather duster and, and nothing but my body. But like she moves out here in the middle of a fucking pandemic. So we're like, yay, we can't see each other. <laughs> you just wave through the window. <laughs> Great. Time. Yeah. So it's, it's very much the same as it was. Uh -huh. We still talk over Twitter or text or do like a like virtual FaceTime watch together, but it's just very, very, very frustrating because I'm like, you're 10 minutes away now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're on the opposite coast, the opposite side of a gigantic country, and now you're like in Burbank. <laughs> Given the opportunity, is there any like a dream person that you could collaborate with that you haven't done so far? You know, one of your favorite artists or cinematic producers? Is there anyone you can think of that you haven't worked with that you would just love? Oh god, there's a handful. I mean, there's a lot of people that I've, again, like, the fact that I have empirical evidence that like, I don't know, Martin Scorsese and David Lynch and Mel Brooks I've seen in my art is like, <laughs> sometimes my brain can't compute that. The fact that Mel Brooks has something of mine on his shelf is just like weird to me. Totally amazing. Oh, absolutely. But in terms of artists that I would love to work with, I mean, really, 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 I'd love to work with Adam Maeda one day. I love his stuff. He also comes from a punk background and has amazing politics and just his stuff is phenomenal and really 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 smart i would love to work with jay shaw one day his stuff is also like a big 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 inspiration i was i was lucky enough last year to work with haunt love who's one of my favorite screen print artists and has like the most kick-ass art name in the world 
and he and Cinepunks do a have a shirt company called Rough Cut, uh, and we did shirts for Funeral Parade of Roses and Andy Warhol's Women in Revolt as like a trans feature, and we raised money for a trans charity, which is awesome. And he's super, super, super nice. And like I don't know, you know, Edgar Wright's got a new horror movie. Uh, yeah, I saw. <laughs> I would. Uh, would love to do something for him. I mean, he's always on Twitter. I'm sure you could message him. <laughs> he is on Twitter, and he just did a beautiful edition of Empire Magazine, interviewing all these other filmmakers and actors and stuff about their theater experiences, you know, to, like, sate our appetite during COVID. And my friend Corey did one of the covers. What? For the subscriber edition for it. And so Edgar Wright's been posting Corey's cover all week, and I'm just like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Corey's super cool and their art is just amazing. Almost these people that we hold in such high regard, almost pedestal areas, you know, and and then for them to just walk on down and be like, yeah, I like this, I'm going to share it. Hi, and we're on the same level. It's it's mental. Yeah, again, the, there's great aspects of social media, man. There's been a lot of like really, really good things and it's sometimes it can really blur the line between class and socioeconomic levels, which is great. You can also really, really, really divide them, so... It, it depends. I think the the big, 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 big one and that like, God, one day, one, one, one day, it's gonna, it's gonna be something. And like, I've met him and he's like the nicest guy in the world. And he's so insanely funny. But I would love to do something for John Waters. I, his, the poster that he designed for the New York Film Festival last year, I got a print of it and it's hanging above my desk and it's so funny and it's <laughs> so cool. And it's just like, man. So going on from your first thing that you ever drew or made, can you name from your collection of your glorious artworks, what do you think would be your favorite piece, like the creme de la creme of your work? Can you pick or is it just too hard? Oh God, there's so many, there's a lot. I feel like if I could whittle down to two pieces, because I, I feel like there's two different roads that I take on a lot of my work, either very collagey, screen printy, graphic stuff, or opposite end of the spectrum is my occasional attempts at illustration. The Elephant Man cover is a good example of like, that's fully illustrated. Using my weird like splatter brush, like aerosol shit in Photoshop. I have this weird technique of doing that. So I feel the two different poles would be from the illustrated perspective, my Bride of Frankenstein piece that I did last year for Horror Magazine. It was the cover for the first issue. Is that the black and white one? Yeah, I'm very proud of that one. Oh, I love that one. I saw it. was like, oh, I love that. They were just like, yeah, we want a cover that's like the Bride of Frankenstein, like screaming. And I was like, okay. And I was looking through images from the film and I was like, oh, that's never really a shot, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> got it. So I found a couple different reference points of Elsa Lanchester in that film and god she's amazing. And I kind of cobbled them together and what I did was I built a collage out of different images of her from the movie. So like I grabbed her head from this scene, I grabbed her mouth from this scene, I grabbed her body and her arms from these other scenes. We had to Frankenstein her together. Yeah, I literally, I literally Frankensteined her. And I like made a very like, you know, cut and paste collage out of it. And then I used that as my reference. And then I took my little tablet, my 
little digital pen and tossed it in. It did a very quick watercolor splotch like shape. And then I went back through with my uh, aerosol spray pen and illustrated the whole thing in there. Cause using that, I don't have to be precise. I don't have to make straight lines and I can get like textures and gradations really, really easily. And it comes off with a very tactile screen printy look that I like a lot. And that man, I, that's something that I look at and I'm like, I illustrated that? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I'm still to this day, like very, 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 very proud of that because I still kind of can't believe how well mm. it turned out. I used the same technique on the Elephant Man and on a Ghost Weights, which Arrow Video just announced yesterday. But then the opposite end of the spectrum, the more collage screen print side of things, I would say my poster for the movie Cruising is probably is probably the one for that because that was the first poster that I did after my poster a day thing for 2018. After I spent an entire year making posters and then I was like burnt out and I took a month off and I was like, you know, I've got like one commission. I don't know, like, yeah. <laughs> I, spent, I spent a whole year like dicking around basically, right? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't come out of it feeling like I had a voice of any kind. I just felt like I tried some stuff and I was getting commissions and I was doing stuff, but it's, and, but it always just felt like I was tailoring to a client or I was tailoring to trying to ape a style for something. And then cruising was the first one that I did just kind of like without a concept in mind, without anything, I just tossed things together and I played. And then I found something that I felt both fit the movie and felt like it fit my view and i feel like that's kind of the touchstone that is the that is the moment that my style was kind of born out of so i feel like everything else before that is a lead up and that's the one where it's like oh okay i know what i'm doing now are you enjoying sister hyde <laughs> before we get back to her wonderful anecdotes of movies life and punk posters Let's take a break and listen to Jenny discuss a modern artist who makes flowers fucking cool again. Then again, when were they never not cool? So the artist I'm going to be talking about is somebody called Maurice Harris. Have you heard of him? Ah, no, I haven't. I don't think I've actually seen one iota of artwork by him, so... Oh, I'm, I think <laughs> think you'll be very pleased when you see his work. So just to give you a bit of background, and I'm going to talk about him in general and like the work he produces rather mm -hmm. than a particular piece because it was too hard to choose one piece. He's wonderful. So he's an LA-based artist and he's behind something called Bloom and Plume, which is a bespoke floral design studio, which is located in Echo Ooh. Park. And he is an artist, but he also runs a business and he's also been an entertainer. Yeah, so he's a man of many <laughs> talents. So at the moment, for example, he started a coffee shop with his brother, which is also called Bloom and Plume Coffee. And he's previously, well, he's a dancer, so he's previously taught lots of lessons as well for dancing. So he does loads of wonderful things. And he designs these massive, so intricate, um, these beautiful floral installations and arrangements. And he's done it for so many people. So he's done it for a host of like huge brands like Goop and Dior, Nike, The Row, Louis Vuitton, Dolce & Gabbana, Gucci, Valentino. And he's done loads of stuff for like A-list Hollywood celebrities and so many things. And I mean, for example, he was the floral designer. You know, Beyonce did a visual album called Black is King. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recently, so he was the floral designer that did all kind of the floral pieces on that as well. Oh my god! So you've probably seen his work and not realised you've seen his work because it's just kind of he's everywhere. I love it when that happens. You're like, I, I know, I know of this artist, I know of this work, mm. and I've loved it. And then you just never um, attach a name to it until someone talks about it. And you're like, oh my god, I do know. <laughs> <laughs> so I've sent Rosie the images. Can I look now? Of course. Yeah. I sent her a selection of work so she can get an idea of like the beautiful things he makes. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I follow instantly. <gasps> it's stunning. Those colours. I wish you could see her face. Oh, oh, I love it. You're right. I do want to draw him. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I thought you'd want to draw his work. So he's produced lots of different series of work where he takes black subjects because Maurice Harris is a black American man himself. He takes black subjects and he photographs them alongside his intricate floral arrangements. And it's a strange thing because quite often at the moment, people of colour are reflected negatively in the news and you see somebody in the news mm. who is of colour and you expect it to be a certain kind of thing. Whereas his mm. images are like countering that. So it's beautiful people in beautiful settings. So it's like the complete opposite to what this thing is on the media that I keep saying the word thing. I can't think of the word that I want, but it's like a complete juxtaposition and trying Mm. to like take back that power that you don't just see people of colour in the news for bad reasons, if if that makes sense. So he's done, as, as I said, a lot of different series and one of them is called Shades of Blackness, which is currently live on his website. So he does it as a semi-yearly project. And in his own words, it's meant to be another investigation into how we, as people of colour, find our beauty and agency. Our hair is one of those blessings we have to learn to embrace over time. I think this is a beautiful metaphor for the struggle for self-love in its natural state. So I think one of the images that I sent over to you, there's... a. Uh, woman in a hairdresser's chair did i send you that one i think so i mean i dived straight into his page now i was like <laughs> oh my god like i've just been scrolling through so I'll, I'll go back no that's fine i mean so that's part of that series and then there was another series that he did which was called the color of fear which is a mm. photo series which pairs black men with flowers as a way to process the nuances of being both black and gay so he himself has said in different interviews that his ethnicity and his gayness can sometimes feel like they're pushed to the back because people aren't always that accepting of it so people love Mm. his work but when he's in certain environments it it almost takes a back seat because they fail to acknowledge it they love his work but they don't want to acknowledge that he's black and gay it's almost like a celebration of both his gayness and his masculine and his feminine energies and saying actually no if you want my work you have to accept this part of me as well i'm a whole package i'm a complete person it's important to acknowledge it it really reflects the whole ideals of passing on something on the internet Mm. without really researching into it Mm. and how naive and arrogant to adore someone's work without accepting the person who's made it. Mm. That's such a, like, well, I'd say it's such a current thing. I think it's like been all throughout time. Like people who consider themselves above others, they take what they like and they embrace the part that they enjoy and they then use it for their own mm. gain. They're not, they're not celebrating the fact that this person has made it and this is beautiful and let's honour that. They're like, no, I like it, so I'm going to take it for my own pleasure and my own use and that's enough. That's horrible. His work is just, I mean, it's glorious to look at. His visuals that he creates are absolutely beautiful. And then there's such strong meaning behind those pieces. Mm. 
So I think if you're somebody who supports, well, you should be, if you're listening to a podcast like ours, you bloody well better be somebody who supports people of colour and marginalised groups. Let's say we've, we've got that demographic. I mean, if you're listening to our podcast and you're homophobic and racist, then stop listening. I'm sorry, but... Yeah, turn off right now. I'm sorry, but this isn't the place for you. <laughs> or listen and learn. Yeah, listen and learn. That's, Educate that, That's the only other way. So, yeah, I mean, Maurice Harris's work is just, like, glorious. For somebody who loves floral imagery... I am in love with it. And it, it like, brings new life to these... I, I'm going to talk about old artwork again. <laughs> but it brings new life to, like, these ideas of Dutch still lifes, mm. in a way. You know, flowers on a table, like, bringing that into, like, the current light of day. And it's just so beautiful. Like, the colours, the vividness. Um, and him, like, he's so gorgeous. Having the, the beauty of the colour... And the iridescence of the flowers against his skin and everyone on there it, it, it's stunning genuinely there's such like a tactile feel to all of it i love it great choice yeah i thought you'd enjoy it and i'm hoping that our listeners will too because it's just absolutely stunning work and as i say you've probably seen his work around and maybe not because you know artists tend to move in certain circles because he's an american based artist we might have uk fans mm. that probably haven't you know realized that this is him and the works that he produces are just glorious you as i say you might have seen something <laughs> of his and not even realized because he's worked for these big brands you know you might have seen one yeah. of his floral arrangements in an advert or in a window setting i think he worked for juicy mm. for a while he might have done something in a window that you thought god mate that's amazing but didn't even think that it was this this incredible person producing this work and not only does he do those yeah. but then he does his own work which is these photographic series with his um black subjects so it's a really amazing body of work i think and the fact that he's also <laughs> running a, a coffee shop as a business as well kind of go <laughs> with it i mean from what i've read it's absolutely beautiful this coffee shop so if we ever have the opportunity to go to <laughs> you know go over and visit i want to go oh in because i think it's glorious is it covered in flowers i really hope so. I think he has like mini arrangements um, on each of the mm. tables and I think I was reading somewhere that the walls are like a royal purple like really bright and like, really kind of rich colour sounds amazing you can see that within quite a lot of his posts like that rich violet deep purple mm. colour oh it just looks gorgeous yeah I mean if we go to New York we're, no LA LA isn't yeah. it we go to LA we go get coffee <laughs> And we smell the flowers. <laughs> so yeah, guys, check him out. His pages are amazing. Just glorious. And of course, as usual, we will be linking all of these on our Instagram. Yeah, drunk our review. Uh. <laughs> Self-plug. <laughs> Self-plug midway through the show. Why not? <laughs> if you had a time machine, Drusilla... Anyone in history that you could meet, who would it be? Which historical figure? Well, that's 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 a very, very loaded question because I feel like a lot of the people from the past who I, I could meet probably wouldn't want to meet me, which is an interesting conundrum. Like for instance, I found out that I'm loosely, loosely, loosely related to like H.P. Lovecraft. And I'm like, oh yeah, but he's a horrible racist. Holy shit. <laughs> and would probably be a little homophobic too. So no. I guess that changes your perspective on it too, doesn't it? Yeah, you, you think that you would love to meet, but then you're turning it on them actually meeting you. 
Yeah. Because they got to be in the room with me. And, like, how do you handle meeting Freud and having him, like, <laughs> try and, like, analyze you the whole time? That would suck. That would not be a good dinner party. I feel like, honestly, I feel like... I mean, it's it's gonna end up being a filmmaker because I'm an absolute dweeb, or maybe maybe Joe Strummer. It'd be cool to meet Joe Strummer. I I feel like it comes down. There's there's, there's just three options, and I you know what I've I've displayed this a couple times on this podcast. I'm shit. I'm making up my mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat, and I'm gonna have three options, and I'm not gonna go which one to pick. So Joe Strummer, it would be super cool to meet him. Probably like some point in the 80s probably after the clash ended when he was probably like a little more sober not that he had drug problems but like you know <laughs> yeah so that he's not so wired and he's you know working on his own stuff back when he's like living down in mexico that era would love to like have a conversation with him the other option mm-hmm. would be louis benwell who i mentioned earlier who's like my favorite director of all time he didn't speak much english so i'd have to either learn french or spanish but he was amazing <laughs> and his like perspective on art and filmmaking was amazing and he was a spy for the resistance during the Spanish Civil War and he helped smuggle out and tried tried to help some of his friends from the surrealist art group who were gay who ended up being executed by uh, the Franco government, and we're ratted out by Salvador Dali, who can fucking eat shit for all eternity. Salvador Dali was a fascist uh, and a homophobe, and no one talks about that. Good art, awful man. Well, they don't talk about how Picasso was like a complete misogynist and, and a prick <laughs> either. So, oh god, he was an asshole. Oh, giant misogynist. Yeah, fucking Picasso. Anyway, I feel like yeah, Benwell had gay friends and made amazing movies, and was like notoriously very very gregarious and fun and like witty and smart and like i would love to have a martini at a big weird meal with him and then the other the like final pick has got to be joan crawford like 1930s maybe 1940s joan crawford like fairly young joan because i feel like a lot of the perception of her is colored by baby jane and then her adopted daughter's book mommy dearest uh the persona that was created for her by the studio system to cover up you know the fact that she's from texas and the fact that she has a southern accent a uh b the fact that she was bi and was a bit of a lady killer and so i would very much like to have a very very frank and honest conversation with joan crawford maybe hook up with joan crawford (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly well that that's the kind of thing if you're listen there's so many like sci-fi scenarios that if you're not using them for some kind of sexual thing, you're lying. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd go back in time and I'd stop Hitler and I would stop the JFK assassination. And yeah, it's like yeah, and you would also try and go back in time and sleep with someone. You know you would. You would look up Caligula. Like you know you would. Don't lie. <laughs> you know, if you're in the like multiplicity scenario where like there's two of me for some reason. Oh no, I have a clone. It's like, yeah, you're gonna have sex with your clone. You don't <laughs> lie. Everyone's gonna have sex with your clone. Uh, so, uh, on another note, after that, any suggestions for someone looking to get into the art world or creative industries? No, honestly, and I, I hate, I hate that I'm saying this. Get a Twitter. Listen, I hate it. I wish I wasn't on Twitter. I wish you didn't have to be on Twitter. I wish the world could exist and we could have a nice socialist utopia, but that's not, (laughs) that's not the world we live in. We live in a world where if you want to make art and you want to get noticed and you want to get jobs, art directors and recruiters and 
film directors and other artists are on Twitter. It's all about who you know, isn't it? It's that age-old saying. It's all about who you know. So find the artists that you like, find them on Twitter, find the film directors and stuff like that that you like, find them on Twitter, follow them, interact with their stuff, find the companies that you want to work for, find out who their art directors are, find out who their producers are, follow them on Twitter. I promise you, they all have a Twitter account and just engage with them. Don't send them a weird message and breathe down their throat, but if they post something, engage with them. Yeah, good advice. <laughs> and just like treat other people as peers. Treat them like you would treat your friend who you're giving like relationship advice to. Treat them like you're just having a conversation. That's what people like to have and look for in other people. Because the other thing about this world is as much as like people get hired off of the fantasy of just looking at the art, which a lot of people do. A lot of people just see that. A lot of other people also get hired based off of personality. Knowing that, oh, I would work well with this person and we should work together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, comes from that. And I feel like, not not to sound like the generic person from Los Angeles, but networking is really important. You really need to get out there and network. Let the world know who you are. You've got to let people know what you do. You've got, you can't be afraid to self-promote. The story that I tell my partner all the time because they are amazing illustrator and animator and they've got a couple different show pitches that are amazing and i really want them to get made because they're goddamn brilliant and i'm biased but i'm genuinely like they're really 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 good and they're always very self-conscious about posting about it or sharing stuff or like trying to hit up people you know to pitch and stuff like that and i will frequently remind them of the fact that human scumbag max landis son of the guy who made American Werewolf in London and Animal House, hopped on Twitter to tell the world that his next script was his Star Wars, and it caused a fucking bidding war over his script because he was hyping it on his Twitter account. That movie was bright with Will Smith. <laughs> wow. It's a piece of shit. Yeah. And Max Landis is a monster and he sucks and he's awful and you should never support him or any of his work ever. But to have the confidence of a white man on Twitter... You need to have that kind of confidence going into every into a lot of stuff, especially online, especially in that world. There's a lot of, especially within queer circles, there's a lot of, that unfortunately a lot of young queer people online are kind of gravitating, between, gravitating towards. There's this idea of like heteronormative appeasement. You need to be a good little egg and you need to be very, no kink at pride. Don't, don't show topless gay men. And if you're going to be trans, you need to be very, very binary or don't be trans at all. Cause that confuses the cishets and you, you can't call someone a bi lesbian and you can't da, 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 and all this discourse. It's like, nah, if <laughs> you need to have the confidence of a white man and you need to say, this is who I am. This is the shit I do. Fuck off. Exactly. <laughs> if this pandemic has taught you anything, it's that the world is weird and strange and anything can happen at any time. You need to take the life that you were given. And rock it to whatever level you need and want. Appreciate the fact that, goddammit, you're on the earth right now. Whatever your religious beliefs are, like, this is a limited time deal. I'd fucking make the most of it. Yeah, I know there's risks. Oh no, what if someone doesn't like me? Oh no, what if someone calls me an asshole? Oh no, what if someone doesn't think my art's good? Oh no, what if I can't make it like this? Oh no, da -da 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 -da. You gotta fucking do it though. You can't get stuck in your head about what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. 
if I got stuck in that point, I might still be in bumfuck nowhere, Indiana or Florida or something like that. The only reason I'm doing art and the only reason that I came out is because I ended up in Los Angeles, which is something that I thought about doing for years and years and years and years, and I never had the courage to do it but I didn't have a place anymore in my apartment in Chicago because my roommate's sister moved in without any notice, and so I had to leave. And then my mom's house in Indiana was sold, and she was, like, crashing on her boyfriend's mom's couch, basically. I didn't have a home to go back to, (laughs) and I had to, like, yeah, I was, you know, was, like, crashing in my dad's guest room in Florida, And I was like, okay, well, I can either keep imposing on my father in objectively the worst state in America, (laughs) working myself to death for a little bit of money, or I can take this final semester in LA thing. I can use a bit of money that I have to hop a plane and get like an extended stay Airbnb kind of thing and just try. I moved to LA with a suitcase, a backpack, and a fucking leather duster on my jacket, on myself. That's so punk. From Florida to California is a bad decision. Uh, (laughs) And I don't know, I think I probably had like a grand in my pocket. It was not a lot at all. And I've been here for over five years now. And, 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 and first night in Los Angeles, I went to a trauma premiere at the Egyptian theater in Hollywood, which was a big deal. And I was so excited and I knew no one there, and I met some amazing, amazing people that night that are still some of my best friends in the world, Michael Verratti among them, which was a surreal evening. But one of the other people that I met there, uh, her name is Lottie Knowles, and she's a film producer. She produced the documentary I Am Divine and the upcoming Showgirls documentary. And she's so kick-ass and sweet, and she's also from Chicago. And so when she found out, like, yeah, I'm new here, and I just moved, and I'm <laughs> and I just got here. Hi. Uh, and she was like, look, if you want to get anything done in LA, if you have any kind of goal or any kind of thing that you want to achieve, you got to give it five years. It's going to take five years from the moment that you step foot in LAX for you to kind of like get even remotely settled or to a place where you can achieve what you want to do. And that five year anniversary is in like a month or two for me. And I've got a condo, I'm in a relationship, I can make my rent and I'm doing art for Arrow and Criterion and Mondo and stuff like that. I think she was right, you know? You've got to take the risks and you've got to put in the time and you got to have the confidence in a white man. (laughs) These are my say. These are my three uh, commandments. I feel like every piece of anyone's personality and anyone's bit of success or art or anything that they put into the world is entirely sculpted and rooted by failure. Every piece of myself and the way I present myself, I can draw back to. Yeah, it's because I tried to do this and it didn't work. Or I tried to do this and I was harassed by people or I was bullied by people. Da, 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 da. Like, because of all these things that happened to me, I have a softer disposition sometimes. Or I put on a tougher exterior sometimes. Or I'm kinder to the people in this scenario because of this. Or I I know myself better because I have been through shit that's bad. And I, <laughs> I've been through really, 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 really bad shit in my life. So, like, I have a specific outlook on the world because of that. I have made a lot of bad art in my life that people will never see. 
And because of that, I know not to do that again. My entire life is just learning by failure. And I'm at a point where I'm comfortable with myself and what I make. But like, failure is still scary. Like every single day I wake up and I look at the laundry list of things that I'm working on and I'm scared shitless that I'm gonna fuck it up and I'm gonna lose the job, I'm gonna lose the client and I'm gonna like ruin my reputation or something like that. But I have to be able to put that aside and do the work. And you know what, like I've had a lot of jobs and a lot of big jobs tried my hardest at and I put in hours and months of work onto these posters or records or whatever and they didn't go and I ended up losing the job and like yeah that sucks that's the best I could do that's what it was and if if they wanted something else then they should have hired someone else up front this is the art that I do and I have to be confident in knowing that like this is the best work that I'm doing I know it is because I put in like months of my fucking life on it I have to know every single day that like whether they like it or not this is what I can do for them yeah yeah, it's about keeping that self-belief, even if you're going to fail, because it, it's a part of it. Yeah, you need to let yourself fail and you need to let yourself learn from that, which I feel like, you know, in a very, 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 very fast world and very, you know, when the world is Twitter, we're not really allowed to fail, especially not publicly. Yeah, self-punishment goes on when we don't succeed. That's what I mean about needing to be able to believe in yourself and love yourself with whatever you're creating, even if you're failing with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it took me a long time to even like looking at the art that I do. And part of that, the way that I've kind of trained myself out of that is that when I do any kind of piece or get to a stopping point, I'm not even gonna say finish a piece, but get to a stopping point on a piece, I shoot it over to my phone before I send it off to the client. And then I make myself sit with it for like a day or two. And I look at it on my phone and I look at it in different contexts and I force myself to come to terms with it. And after a day or two, I'm like, oh yeah, this sucks trash or <laughs> oh hey i really 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 need to make that smaller or hey i really need, need to fix this part of it but i mean the the opposite side of the coin is that sometimes i've got to do like three to five different comps on something and then i do the first one and i think it's perfect and then i'm like well i i gotta do four more now shit i don't know sometimes that happens and i hate it like how to improve on perfection yeah some sometimes i need to be a little less precious too so i don't know i think with everything, there's a, it's, there's a dichotomy and there's a good balance. Balance is key. Um, you, you need to love yourself, you need to love your art, and you need to be the biggest, most vocal supporter of it. But you also need to, you need to kill your darlings and you need to not have it be the most precious, most important thing in the world at the same time. You can't be a zealot for yourself. Uh, that's when you become an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can think of a few arts in the art world who are assholes. I will not name them, but... Yeah. Just don't get high on your oversupply and you'll be fine. <laughs> so we have actually come to the end of our interview now. And you have been a wonderful guest. We have one final question for you. And that is, what is your favourite quote? Oh, God. My favourite quote? Jesus, I should go pull up my Facebook page from 20, from like 2010. I don't know. I mean, I feel like my brain is just always filled with the worst and stupidest quotes from like movies and TV shows that I... That's my brain trying to amuse itself with. But that's not in any way like aspirational or... Oh, it doesn't have to be aspirational. We just like, whatever your favourite quote is, we don't have to be aspirational. Yeah, even if it's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, even if it's saying you guys from the Goonies, like, whatever your favourite quote is, is okay. You know what? Okay. My favourite quote right here, right at this moment, um, is from A Fish Called Wanda. Oh, I love that. 
you're in for it. It's from Kevin Klein, which is which is great because again, being the American guesting on the British show right now and being incredibly crass, <laughs> probably was bringing this to mind, but the line is, you're the vulgarian, you fuck. That's my favorite quote. It's fabulous to shout at someone. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's because like, yeah, fuck off. Don't call me a vulgarian. I'm who I want to be and you're a piece of shit. It's great. I relate to Kevin Klein's character a lot. Because like him, I dress in all black, I'm loud, uh, I'm a little gay, and I'm an idiot. So. <laughs> I feel this is your next t-shirt. Have this with that saying. <laughs> well, we have had an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us for this interview. You've been absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. Loved it, honestly. Everything that you've been saying has been like fascinating. And I've learned so much too. I feel so inspired. Oh, thank you. That's that's outrageously kind. I don't even listen. I'm a twenty-something weirdo from the Midwest. I I don't see myself that way in any way, shape, or form. So hearing that is a little like, mm, are you sure? Uh... <laughs> well, you know, in, in any stretch of the word, honestly, it's been a fabulous interview, and we've loved talking with you. But seriously, yeah, we've we've so enjoyed having you here. Thank you so much. And we will post and celebrate your artwork on our Instagram page and share you and all of that stuff. Oh, fabulous! I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for having me on, taking the time. Oh, that you're very welcome. And where can our listeners find you, Sister Hyde? You can find my art at my website, which is sisterhydedesign.com. And then you can also find me on Instagram and the the most cursed uh, bird app Twitter. <laughs> the handle is both. It's at Hyde Sister. So it's just reversed. And yeah, you can drop me a line on there, like my art, find my website, find my email, annoy me at all hours of the night. I'll probably answer. Or if you uh, have a film that you need a poster for or an album that you need a cover for or fun, dumb quote that you want to see on a t-shirt or something like that, you can drop me a line there and I can try and fit you into my very weirdly progressing 2021 schedule. (laughs) I guess we will see you around. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. If you'd like to see and learn more about the artists and artwork we've chatted about, then head on over to our Instagram or Twitter. This month, we've been sharing the works of LGBTQ artists on our social media pages, and would encourage our listeners to check these out too. While some progress has been made, there is still much to be done to promote equality and diversity. For more information and resources, head on over to lgbtplushistorymonth.co.uk. Thanks for tuning in, and in the words of Audre Lorde, It is not our differences that divide us. It is our inability to recognise, accept and celebrate those differences. Drunk Art Review Podcast was created, hosted and edited for you by me, Rose Alexander and Jennifer Kemp. Music and sound design were free sourced.